For our second message today, we have a sermon from Mr. Lawrence Gregory entitled, Trees. Mr. Gregory. Good afternoon, everyone. We know trees are very important to our ecology this earth. And I have uh, five ways I want to point that out. First, they convert carbon dioxide to oxygen. Second, they add beauty to our environment. Different colors during the season changes to beautify this earth. They add usefulness like fruit, Shade, borders, for fire, for heating and cooking. Furniture, trailers, fence posts, trims, picture frames, ornaments carved. You can name a lot of other uses for, for wood that is very useful to us as human beings. Also, the scriptures tell us that God made the trees for birds to roost in and for food. And then the Bible has uses as metaphors for men. Now, when... Um, I was in school many years ago, uh, in the 50s. I loved the English literature classes. I didn't care so much for the grammar part, the diagramming, the subject and the verb and the direct object and doing all that diagramming. But I loved the literature, the uh, stories and the books, the poems that we read. And there was one that I remembered here the other day, a few verses from a poem that some of us learned many years ago. Maybe some of you still learn it from Alfred Joyce Kilmer, Trees. And it goes like this. Uh, there's six verses, but I only have a couple. I think I shall never see a poem as beautiful as a tree. Poems are made by fools like me but only God can make a tree. Remember that? Only God can make a tree. Many years ago, I was intrigued by an interview uh, one of the uh, interviewers was making while George Bush was president, and uh, she asked him, if you could be a tree, what kind of tree would you be? And he said, well, it's obvious I would be a bush. <laughs> and uh, so... Uh, I thought that was a rather interesting response from President uh, George W. Bush. Okay, I would like us first to focus on the fifth part as man as a metaphor. But before we get to that, uh, I'd like, to, like us to go back to Genesis, the second chapter, and read uh, a number of verses here in the King James, and then we'll read one in the Amplified. 
Yes, really. Beginning in Genesis, the second chapter, verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord made, Lord God, made the earth and the heavens, and every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew, herb. For the Lord God, I, I knew a guy named Herb, and I used to call him Herb. I couldn't get that straight, but it's Herb, uh, silent H. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I didn't have that in the notes, but I read it anyway. In verse 8 and 9, And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now we'll look at those a little later here, but... Uh, a lot of folks think those are just one tree. If you read a lot of uh, writings and theologians, they'll say that's just one tree. But I'm going to show you that the two different trees there. And this garden, notice it was a garden in Eden. Eden was a large geographic area, probably encompassing Iran, Iraq, Armenia, maybe some Saudi Arabia, toward the east, toward India. It was a large area, but in, the, in Eden was a garden, a special garden, that was a little smaller. We'll see a little uh, more description of that a little later. Now, I want to go back to verse 5 in the Amplified to, because our King James and the English is a little unclear. And if Brian can put that up there later, verse 5 in the Amplified. Now, uh, notice this. There's four negatives in this verse here, but uh, if we read it from the Amplified, and, uh, well, I brought my Amplified Bible, but I'll just read off the board. It's talking about this creation, this generations of creation, recreation. We know that the earth was here for billions and billions of years, and then there was a uh, great flood that encompassed all of the earth. It became filled with water and all this, and then God began to cleanse it. And Genesis 1 gives that story. Another chapter shows the recreation in seven days, counting the Sabbath, when God began to refashion, redo, recreate this earth. When no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not yet caused it to rain upon the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. So, four things, four negative things. Now, if you'll go back to the Genesis first chapter, you'll see that uh, in the uh, first day, and uh, uh, God created the heavens and the earth, and the second day, he began to separate the dry land from the water and bring it up. And then on the third day, he made vegetation. So what uh, we're learning here is that on this second day, before he had put any plants or anything in the ground, that uh, it, uh, he caused a mist to go up to prepare for the seed and the trees and the vegetation that he was going to create on the third day. He just created a, some as seeds and some as full-blown trees that he could just create. And the trees are beautiful on this earth, aren't there? Such a, such a variety of them. Uh, 
I wrote down some different kind of trees, and you'll probably think of some others. Here, here are some trees. Elm trees, cedar, cypress, birch, oak, pine, sycamore, willow, fir, maple, sweet gums, magnolia. All of these are different varieties, aren't they? Beautiful, aren't they? And have different uses. Cedar trees are very beautiful and aromatic, and we make a lot of good furniture pieces out of them. And they make good fence posts because they don't rot. They're very hard. They don't rot with the wood. And so if you put a pine fence post in a couple of years, it's going to rot off in the ground. But a cedar post will stay there for a long time. Now, fruit trees, olive trees, apple tree, peach tree, pear tree, a fig tree, a mesquite. Now, we don't like to think normally, but they're all over the southwest, these mesquites. And they have a bean that they produce that is edible by animals. They, you have to kind of uh, grind it up for them. And then uh, some of the ancient peoples that lived before would take the beans and cook them and make uh, uh, food and some bread out of them. So, so mesquites have, are questionable for us, but in the southwest uh, they have a function. Nut trees, walnuts, pecans, cashews, Brazil nuts. Now, when I was a kid, we called those Brazil nuts a different name. But uh, when, when, I was a, when I was a kid, we didn't have television. We had a battery radio, and we'd kind of, they'd kind of uh, only certain programs at certain times to, to conserve the battery to use that radio. But my mother had a big bowl of nuts, and she had these nut crackers and these nut picks. And uh, the old walnuts that would get ground, gathered around, the, you had to crack off that uh, outside hull, kind of messy. And then when you'd really crack those walnuts, they were hard. You'd have to dig the, the nuts out of them. But the English walnuts and all the other nuts that she had, the, I liked those because they were easy. You could just crack them and then have this full, like a pecan, you know, the English walnuts were easier to pick and easier to, to use. So. Uh, some of you remember those uh, days of eating the nuts before the television and uh, when you grew up. I'm, I might be dating myself a little bit here uh, of uh, some of those things. But uh, this is kind of gives us an idea here. Uh, bef on the second day when the ground was brought up out of the water, uh, then it was dry. There wasn't any plants. But on the third day, if you go back to Genesis 1, you'll see that God began to make the vegetation then to send, but he had to prepare that by sending this mist because there wasn't any man there to till it. Uh, earlier back during the week, I was watching a program and I, and I tried to remember, I, I started watching part of it. I usually try to watch the news, but somehow this program was on about the um, Queen Elizabeth, uh, the uh, garden there in London, England. And uh, the, it's been there for maybe 150 years, started back with like King George and then passed on down through and she's maintained this. She's in her 80s, I think she's 60, 60 some years now she's been taking care of this, uh, but uh, Queen Elizabeth, but uh, uh, Matt might know a little more about the name of this garden there in the, the Queen in, in London and, and several acres and all the all the changes that take place in the streams and the ponds and the flowers and the birds and the trees and the bees and the honey that they make off of that. 
It's just like a little miniature Garden of Eden, but they take a lot of people has to maintain that. And so when God put man in the Garden of Eden, he told him, dress it and keep it. You've got to be busy. You've got to work. You can't just come in here and goof off and laze around. You've got to be working. You've got to take care of this. And so now uh, we've uh, looked a little bit of the uh, history here of God creating uh, the uh, earth and the Garden of Eden. And uh, we'll go now to uh, some of uh, the metaphor descriptions of man. Then we're going to look at a little bit of the nations. And then later we'll look at the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But uh, first thing, let's go to Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3. Psalm 1, verse 1 through 3. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law does he meditate day and night. Meditation. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. So here's a description of a righteous person that's like a tree. What kind of a tree are we? What? Are we bearing fruit? Are we beautiful to look at? Are we getting old? Like I've been out in uh, western um, United States to look at... Uh, uh, this tree that is uh, thousands of years old, and I'm, I'm trying to think of the name of it right now. It's, it's just almost like uh, it's been bristlecone pine, the bristlecone pine tree. Some of those are thousands, some of them go back to the time of uh, Noah's flood, but they're still bearing fruit and still producing seed, but they look petrified. They look like almost like the rock they're growing out of. And some of you have seen these bristlecone pines. Uh, okay, I'm not going to say anything, but that's where some of us maybe are beginning to look like uh, some of these old, old uh, uh, bristlecone pines. That, uh, but we can still, you know, produce and bear fruit and uh, and uh, look like the rock that we come out of, the rock that uh, is our pattern, Jesus Christ, the rock. There's a lot of uh, metaphor, other metaphors and analogies in the scriptures. Uh, some will look at, some not. But uh, now let's go to Jeremiah, the 17th chapter. Jeremiah 17, verse uh, 7 and 8. Blessed is the man that trusteth in the Lord, and whose hope the Lord is. For he shall be as a tree planted by the waters, and that spreadeth out her roots by the river, and shall not see when heat cometh, but her leaf shall be green. So, uh, and shall not be careful in the year of drought, neither shall cease from yielding fruit. Thank you for putting the rest of it. I, I need to turn my Bible, I guess, because sometimes I uh, might leave, that, leave you hanging a little bit by reading off of the wall there. But um, anyway, this is another description, another metaphor of a man and where we're like. How, how, how are we as a tree? How do we compare to the physical trees that we see out there? 
now let's go to the New Testament. Matthew, the seventh chapter, verse 15 through 20. Matthew 7. 15 through 20. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravening wolves. Very descriptive. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Here again, a descriptive that Jesus is talking about comparing fruit and goodness with a tree. We look at a, a fruit tree and we say, that's good, that fruit's good to eat, or that's bad fruit, or that tree's no good, that's just uh, occupying, why, why, uh, why does it, it's not bearing fruit, it's dead, uh, like Jesus said when the fig tree, why cumbers it the ground, cut it down. And, wait, 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 the disciples said, maybe it'll produce, maybe it'll come out of it, maybe it's just dormant, maybe it'll start producing some fruit. And so, that's the way sometimes, aren't we, we ebb and flow, we bear a lot of fruit, and then maybe we coast. Then we need to get stirred up, and uh, like the first message, and start doing some of those basic things of meditation and study and prayer and, uh, and looking at uh, the Word of God and redoing those things and uh, uh, meditating till we stir up and start bearing some fruit again and start uh, becoming a productive, a good example of a good tree. This is, Jesus was thinking of that metaphor because he is the one that made trees and he made man and certainly there's some uh, descriptions there and some metaphors that we can learn from them. Uh, one more here in uh, Isaiah, the 61st chapter. Well, a couple of chapters here in Isaiah, but we'll go back to Isaiah, the 61st chapter. And... Um, Verse uh, 1 through 3, Isaiah 61. Now, Jesus used this in the New Testament there in, in Matthew. But the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, a couple of different times, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And uh, we see here that some are not bearing fruit and are not uh, producing as God intended, but 
how are we called? Are we called trees of the righteousness? And has God planted us? Now some think, well, I'll just volunteer. I can, I don't need God to call me. I can just call myself and do this. But we know that's a false concept. That it's God that initiates the call. And he's the one that is working in our life. And so what is he producing? And what are we like? Are we like a cypress? Are we like a fir? Are we like a pine? Are we like an oak? Are we like uh, cedars of Lebanon? What, what kind of tree are we like? Sometimes we can't say, you know, I'm like this particular tree. We leave it up to God. Back up to uh, Isaiah, the 56th chapter, verse 3. Isaiah 56, verse 3 through 5. Neither let the sons of the strangers that have joined himself to the Lord speak, saying... The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbath and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant, even unto them will I give in my house and with my, within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name. They shall not be cut off. Now, you know a eunuch is uh, a male that's been castrated and is, uh, can't have children and usually a single person or they were used in different ways. But here's this eunuch that says, you know, what, what use am I? What, what am I good for? Now, that can be a good thing in humility and meekness for a person to have a right good estimate of themselves and say, you know, I'm just compared to potentiality and abilities and uh, accomplishments. I'm just like a dry eunuch. But the wonderful thing is that there's a great destiny ahead for those people to be in God's kingdom, to be counted like children, like sons and daughters and to have an important dynamic part. So even though, here's, here's my, my point, I guess I'm trying to make, even though we might have a lowly estimate of ourselves and maybe uh, I'm no good and I'm not going to uh, amount to much and I haven't done anything in the world, if we know God and if God is working in our life, there's a great potential ahead for us to be an important part of the family of God and to serve him we know forever and ever and to do a lot of good things for him. Now, uh, as a, uh, an analogy to carrying over from individuals into the nations, and sometimes these cross, I've just taken a few of many scriptures, we know this, there's probably others that are, that are very important that we could use, but uh, let's go to Daniel, the fourth chapter. And... Um, Verse 10 through 16. Now, some of these uh, longer passages that we're going to have today, I'm going to read more verses just to get the full context here. But Daniel, the fourth chapter, and uh, verse 10 through 16. And we have to break into the thought. Uh, obviously, we can't go back to Genesis every time. We'd be here for hours and hours. I would be here longer than Doyle's got time to stay with us. But uh, verse 10, Thus were the visions of my head in my bed. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, 
and the height thereof was great. The tree grew and was strong, and the height thereof reached unto heaven, and the sight thereof to the end of all the earth. The leaves thereof were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all. The beast of the field had shadow under it, and the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the boughs thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. And I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed, and behold, a watcher and a holy one came down from heaven. And he cried aloud and said thus, Hew down the tree, cut off his branches, shake off his leaves, and scatter his fruit. Let the beasts get away from under it and the fowls from the branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump of his roots in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's, and let a beast's heart be given unto him, and, he, and let seven times pass over him. Now, uh, what does this mean, and, and what, do, uh, what is the interpretation of that? That's rather confusing uh, for us to uh, know, but uh, he's talking here about uh, Babylon and uh, about Nebuchadnezzar, and uh, the interpret this matter is by decrees of the watcher and the demand by the word of the holy ones. I don't think I gave all of these verses to uh, Brian, but we'll continue reading here that the living man might know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will, and setteth it over the basis of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, O Belteshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof, forasmuch as all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known unto me the interpretation. But you're able, for the spirit of the holy God is in thee. And it says holy God's here in the, in the King James, but holy, it means holy God is in you. And uh, then, Bill, then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for one hour, and his thoughts troubled him. The king spake and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee, and the interpretation thereof to your enemies. The tree that you saw, which grew and was strong, whose height reached unto the heaven, and the sight thereof to all the earth, whose leaves were fair, and the fruit thereof much, and in it was meat for all, under which the beast of the field dealt, dwelt, and upon whose branches the fowls of the heaven had their habitation, it is you, O king, that are grown and become strong, for thy greatness is grown and reacheth unto heaven and the dominion to the end of the earth. And whereas the king saw a watcher and a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, Hew the tree down and destroy it, yet leave the stump of the roots thereof in the earth, even with the band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let the portion be with the beast of the field till seven times pass over him, this is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the king, that they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with a beast of the field, and you shall make you to eat grass, and they shall make you to eat grass as oxen, and they shall wet you with the dew of heaven, 
and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And so the interpretation was here to uh, Nebuchadnezzar and to his uh, uh, seven years that he spent as a wild person. And then uh, skipping ahead here to uh, verse uh, 35. And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What are you? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, my honor and the brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I, will, and I was established in my kingdom, an excellent majesty was added unto me. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. And so Nebuchadnezzar was responsible in 606 B.C. and 597 to 592 and 585, 586 to uh, invade uh, uh, Judea and to destroy Jerusalem, the temple, and to destroy the uh, city of uh, Jerusalem. And uh, then later, uh, from uh, about 570-some uh, to 563, those seven years, he was cast out. It was like a wild man, apart. But then God brought him back, and then he repented, and then he began to acknowledge and to see that God was greatness. After all of the evil things that this man had done, God was able to convert him and bring him to uh, a blessed state of acknowledging God. And that's the way a lot of us have been in our life, maybe. We've been pretty bad. We've done a lot of bad things. We've done a lot of sin. Time has gone on. God has worked with us, punished us, disciplined us, and given us a calling and a conversion and a repentance, acknowledge that, and now we praise and bless him for his goodness. And so there's a lot of uh, good that uh, God was doing, even among uh, Nebuchadnezzar, as a uh, bad tree. Now, uh, let's go to... Ezekiel, the 31st chapter. I just have a couple of uh, portions here of uh, scriptures that I want to read, but there's uh, a lot of uh, reading here that we need to do. Ezekiel, the 31st chapter. It came to pass in the eleventh year, in the third month, in the first day of the month, that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, now this was uh, in about June of uh, 586 B.C. Son of man, speak unto Pharaoh. And I want to read uh, about 14 verses here, so there's a lot of reading. Speak unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude. Whom art thou like in thy greatness? Behold, the Assyrian was a cedar in Lebanon. Now, here he's using as an illustration to the king of Egypt something that happened about 120, 30 years before concerning the Assyrians and the Assyrian Empire. So, he's saying now as an illustration of uh, a warning to Egypt of what happened to Assyria uh, 
And so we, we, we take that lesson from this. Uh, with fair branches and with a shadowing shroud and of a high stature, and his top was among the thick boughs. The waters made him great. The deep set him on high with her rivers running round about his plants and sent out her little rivers unto all the trees of the field. Therefore his height. Now, think of metaphor. Uh, we know there are a lot of other metaphors in the Bible, but we're talking about nations and peoples as trees. So think of the influence that the Assyrians had on other peoples and other nations, and uh, we'll, we'll get a little bit out of this as a lesson to Egypt and what they're going to face. Therefore his height was exalted above all the trees of the field, and his boughs were multiplied, and his branches became long because of the multitude of waters when he shot forth. All the fowls of heaven made their nest in his boughs, and under his branches did all the beasts of the field bring forth their young, and under his shadow dwelt all great nations. Thus was he fair in his greatness, in the length of his branches, for his root was by great waters. The cedars in the garden of God could not hide him. The fir trees were not like his boughs, and the chestnut trees were not like his branches, nor any tree in the garden of Eden, in the garden of God, was like unto him in his beauty. I have made him fair by the multitude of his branches. That's God speaking. I've made him. So that all the trees of Eden that were in the garden of God envied him. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because you have lifted up yourself in your height, and he has shot up his top among the thick boughs, and his heart is lifted up in his height because of his pride, there's a warning here because of ego and pride. Look what happened to Assyria and what's going to happen to Egypt. And if we can take a lesson from this for us to consider. I have therefore delivered him into the hand of the mighty one of the heathen. He shall surely deal with him. I have driven him out for his wickedness. And strangers, the terrible of the nations, have cut him off. And have left him. And upon the mountains and in all the valleys his branches are fallen. And his boughs are broken by all the rivers of the land. And all the peoples of the earth are gone down from his shadow. And have left him. People see through eventually through arrogance and pride. They want to get away from that. They get out from under the influence. Out from under the leadership of that type of individual or nation. There's some things to think about very seriously here in current times and in personal times. Upon his room shall all the ruin, shall all the fowls of the heaven remain, and all the beasts of the field shall take, shall be upon his branches. To the end, this is the purpose, this is all, all of this going before is for this purpose. To the end, that none of all the trees by the waters exalt themselves for their height, neither shoot up their top among the thick boughs, neither their trees stand up in their height, all that drink water, for they are all delivered unto death, to the nether parts of the earth, in the midst of the children of men, and with them that go down to the pit. And uh, verse 
Skip over to 18. To whom are you thus like in glory and in greatness among the trees of Eden? Yet shall you be brought down with the trees of Eden unto the nether parts of the earth. You shall lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with them that be slain by the word, by the sword. This is Pharaoh and all his multitude, saith the Lord God. So God through Ezekiel was talking to uh, the nation of Egypt to learn the lesson of what happened to Assyria. So we who the word is for us and for our benefit, we can take the word to ourselves and ask ourselves in our vanity and our pride and ego and self-exaltation, yes, you know, can we correct ourselves? Can we humble ourselves before God? Because if we don't, our pride and those things that are erroneous in our life, you know, we'll be disciplined and corrected by it and we'll be brought low and humbled. Okay, back in... Um, Ezekiel, the 17th chapter, back up. Uh, here's another uh, interesting portion. And uh, if you'll bear with me, I want to read these 24 verses. And you've got them up here on the, behind me and on the, on the board here to read. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, put forth a riddle and speak a parable unto the house of Israel. Now, this is a puzzle. Now, part of this, I'll just say this, part of this puzzle is explained in the scriptures, and uh, the rest of the puzzle, we have to look for other historical aspects, and we can find those in a number of other books that are written that uh, give us some information about uh, this chapter 17, Judah, Scepter, and Joseph, Birthright, Birthright a book by J.H. Allen, uh, The Scarlet Thread, uh, the... Uh, uh, a number of other books, and I, don't, I didn't write down all the titles, uh, a number of books that I've got that give the history of Ezekiel, the 17th chapter, and make it easier for us to see and understand. But a lot, uh, some of it is explained in here. Now, as we go through this, this is a riddle and a puzzle, so just remember that. So it's, it's hard to figure out. Part of the answer is given within the chapter, and the rest of it is in other verses and other chapters we're not going to go into today and other information that we're familiar with. And say, thus says the Lord God, a great eagle with great wings, long-winged, full of feathers, which had different colors, came unto Lebanon and took the highest branch of the cedar. He cropped off the top of his young twigs and carried it into a land of traffic. He set it in a city of merchants. He took also of the seed of the land and planted it in a fruitful field. He placed it by great waters and set it as a willow tree. And it grew and became a spreading vine of low stature, whose branches turned toward him, and the roots thereof were under him. So it became a vine and brought forth branches and shot forth sprigs. There was also another great, here's the second thing, there was another great eagle with great wings and many feathers. And behold, this vine did bend her roots toward him and shot forth her branches toward him that he might water it by the furrows of her plantation. It was planted in a good soil by great waters that it might bring forth branches and that it might bear fruit, that it might be a goodly vine. 
Thus saith, uh, say thou, thus saith the Lord God, shall it prosper? Shall he not pull up the roots thereof and cut off the fruit thereof that it wither? It shall wither in all the leaves of her spring, even without great power of many people to pluck it up by the roots thereof. Yea, behold, being planted, shall it prosper? Again, the question is asked, shall it prosper? Shall it not be utterly wither when the east wind touches it? It shall wither in the furrows where it grew. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Say now to the rebellious house, Know you what these things mean? Well, it's a puzzle to us, isn't it? Unless we've read ahead and we know for over years of study the interpretation of this already. Tell them, Behold, the king of Babylon is come to Jerusalem, and has taken the king thereof, and the princes thereof, and led them with him to Babylon, and has taken of the king's seed, and made a covenant with him, and has taken an oath of him. He also has taken the mighty of the land, that the kingdom might be base, that it might not lift itself up, but that by keeping of his covenant it might stand. But he rebelled against him in sending his ambassadors into Egypt, that they might give him horses and much people. Shall he prosper? Shall he escape that does such things? Or shall he break the covenant and be delivered? As I live, says the Lord God, surely in the place where the king dwelleth, that maketh him king, whose oath he despise and whose covenant he break, even with him in the midst of Babylon, he shall die. Neither shall Pharaoh, Zedekiah died, and Jeconiah, this next descendant of the king, uh, was then released from prison and able to go back to uh, Jerusalem later. That's, that happened years later. Neither shall Pharaoh, with his mighty army and great company, make for him in the war by casting up mounts and building forts to cut off many persons. Seeing he despised the oath by breaking the covenant, when, lo, he has given his hand and has done all things, he shall not escape. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely my oath that he has despised and my covenant that he has broken, even it will compass recompense upon his own head. And I will spread my net upon him and he shall be taken in my snare and I will bring him to Babylon and will plead with him therefore his trespass that he has trespassed against me. And all his fugitives with all his band shall fall by the sword and they that remain shall be scattered toward all the winds. And you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also take of the highest branch of the high cedar and will set it. I will crop off from the top of his young twigs a tender one and will plant it upon a high mountain and eminent. In the mountain of the height of Israel will I plant it and it shall bring forth boughs among the lions. He became a young lion and learned to catch the prey and devour men. No, and bear fruit. Oh, my page is stuck together, excuse me. And bear fruit and be a goodly cedar. And under it shall dwell all fowl of every wing. In the shadow of the branches thereof shall they dwell. And all the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, have brought down the high tree, have exalted the low tree, have dried up the green tree, and have made the dry tree to flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and have done it. Now that's real confusing to us and all we see. 
But if you remember from reading uh, in some of those books that I mentioned, the story of um, Jeremiah and uh, when he was uh, sent to Egypt with some of the princesses, the, some of the daughters of the king uh, Zedekiah, and uh, Zedekiah was blinded, killed, taken captive by uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and Jeconiah was taken to Babylon. And in Babylon was Ezekiel, and Daniel was prophesying there about the same time. And then uh, Jeremiah was threatened, and uh, from uh, Egypt, then it appears from history, because the scriptures kind of fall silent a little bit about the, the travails and travels of Jeremiah, except what's laid out here, maybe, that Jeremiah took some of those princesses of the royal house, uh, two of them, one of them dropped off in Spain and married a, a, uh, one of the Israelite kings there, and then the other one up, he took uh, Tamar or uh, Teotefi up into Ireland, and uh, she married the uh, Israelite king that had gone up there before. And so you have in Ezekiel 31, I won't go there, but you have the three overturns of talking about the throne in Jerusalem. God says, I will overturn it, overturn it, overturn it, and I'll no more overturn it until he comes whose right it is. And so the throne was transferred in the kingdom of uh, David. The king of David was transferred from Jerusalem by those princesses to Ireland and then to uh, Scotland and then from Scotland to England, and that's where it's going to stay until Christ comes, whose right it is to sit on the throne. Then he's going to transfer it back to Jerusalem. Now, you know back in Genesis, the 38th chapter, about Judah, uh, who produced uh, the Jews. Judah was uh, a Jewish, and all the kings came from him, and, uh, and the birth of Jesus through Joseph, the stepfather, and Mary. And uh, you remember the story how Judah went out and had relations with his daughter-in-law unknown to him. He thought that because she, she masqueraded herself, he thought she was a prostitute, and he gave her uh, uh, some uh, jewelry for payment, and she had a couple of sons, Ferez and Tamar, uh, and Zerah, pardon me, Ferez and Zerah, and uh, her name was uh, Tamar. And uh, the midwife knew uh, for some reason that there were going to be twins born, so she was ready, and so Zerah stuck out his hand first. She put the thread around it, the red thread around it, and he drew it back. And then Pharaoh was born, and then Zerah was born afterward, but she knew the firstborn was really Zerah. Well, from that story, we get the birth of Jesus through Mary. We get the, the, the descent of the king. We get the throne and the scepter. The scepter were never part from Judah, although it's in the Israelite nation. So we have part of that, when Christ comes, he's the repair of the breach. He'll repair that. And so Pharez, remember, Pharez in Genesis 38 means breach. And so that breach was healed of those two descendants of uh, Judah and Tamar. Because from that you get uh, the descent of the kings of uh, Judah and Israel up to Mary, who was Jewish, and Joseph his genealogy, but he was a stepfather. Jesus' father was God. But when Christ comes, he's going to be uniting that throne as a right and returning it and restoring it, that Jewish throne that's in England today. Now, we've heard this story before. We've read a lot of it, so I'm just kind of ad-libbing and talking a little bit here 
about this uh, because part of the story is told here in Ezekiel and uh, in other chapters of the Bible, and uh, Hosea has a lot to say about that. But I think we'll find that uh, rather interesting of the parallels of a tree and um, of the nation and of individuals and uh, some questions that are asked us here uh, ourselves. Are we prospering? Are we overcoming? Are we growing? Are we being a productive, a beautiful, godly tree? Or are we like a dry eunuch tree that is fruitless and barren and not having any uh, uh, fruits? So those are honest questions that we have. Uh, I'm going to uh, close here with uh, scripture in Isaiah, the 55th chapter. Uh, Isaiah 55. If you'd like uh, some real interesting studies, uh, what I just mentioned briefly about uh, Jeremiah and uh, the throne and transferring to Ireland and Scotland and to... Uh, England and then on to Jerusalem and some of the equipment and the accoutrements, the accoutrements that Jeremiah took, the chest, the uh, Lyophel, the stone that's there under King Edward's chair that's been transferred to Scotland. I was interested here, remember just a, a few months ago or maybe back in the summer, there was a great independent move in Scotland and uh, they wanted to become independent from the British uh, Commonwealth, but it didn't happen. And so you think about all the ramifications of what would have happened. They would have had to have their own uh, economy, their own monies, their own government. Uh, it wasn't like uh, America becoming independent back in the 1600s, 400 years ago. But uh, then it would become the question of the throne and the kingdom and who would be the throne. So that throne and that kingdom, the, the chair and the stone of uh, that uh, company Israel and the wanderings and which Moses struck and the water came out of it, out of that stone, Lyophel, is there under King Edward's chair. Those iron rings and it's worn and it comes from that area of, uh, of the uh, Sinai Peninsula where they carved that stone out. Where Remember where Jacob uh, slept on it and Jacob's pillar stone it's called in uh, the area, I guess it was in the area of uh, around the River Jordan there in uh, Israel. That's interesting study to uh, follow uh, all of that from history. And it, a lot of it can be documented with uh, scriptures. Okay, uh, I'm coming to Isaiah, the 55th chapter, and I want to read verse um, 8 through verse 13. Isaiah 55, just break into some thoughts here. Uh, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Now remember back, uh, and, and I think I, I skipped, I didn't go into the uh, two tree, the tree of knowledge and the tree of, uh, of uh, life, because I had a number of scriptures in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but I'm just, instead of doing that, I'm going to read these verses and then kind of paraphrase those thoughts because I, I didn't uh, cover those, uh, the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
and I can just do that uh, quickly because we're so familiar with that. Um, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down, and the snow from heaven, and returneth not hither, but watereth the earth, and maketh it bring forth, and bud, that it may give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereof I sent it. For you shall go out with joy, and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth unto you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name for an everlasting sign sign that shall not be cut off. And so the great potential for us to be like trees of righteousness and to be trees everlasting. Well, I'm just going to talk here briefly about the tree of knowledge and the tree of life that are in the midst of the garden. Now, you know when God, remember when God planted the Garden of Eden and he put man in it and he put the, the wife later, We'd, we have to go uh, from different chapters to get all of the story there. But uh, they were given some instruction. They could eat of any of the trees there. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they could not eat of it. They could eat the tree of life, but apparently they didn't because we know quickly things happened. Now, when Adam was created, he was created good. Other scriptures tell us that uh, he was created good. And, and when those seven days of creation, uh, when God made man on the sixth day and then the Sabbath, he said, behold, everything was good. Behold, it was very good. And so he put them in the garden and he instructed them not to eat that item. Well, along comes the devil to make us quickly stored. And uh, he starts talking to Eve and he says, uh, well, God knows that you won't surely die. And she said, and I don't know where she got all of this, but she says, uh, well, we're not to eat of that tree nor touch it. Now, I can't find anyone where, where she added where God told him not to touch it. But it makes sense, doesn't it? Temptation and, uh, you know, you see something that's beautiful, good for food, good for good, and then you touch it. And the next thing is to take it, and then sin is broken forth fully. So we are given the opportunity as mortal human beings, we've inherited the knowledge of good and evil. We know good. Little children, you know, uh, they run around the house naked, little, little bitty kids, don't they? they? They have no shame. They have no conscience. They have no thought awareness till they begin to learn and grow and so Adam was made good he didn't know sin until sin through Eve and through uh, temptation broke into uh, uh, their life because they had been taken and, and eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and so God put these cherubim there to protect the way of the tree of life so they wouldn't come out he drove them out and they had to go out then in the, in the sweat of their brow and, and do the same thing they had to do in, in Eden but they had to work and support themselves and live 
but they were carnal, human, mixture of good and evil. And that has been the case for 6,000 years, and we have inherited that. Now, we have that nature. We have that same nature. We don't have everlasting life in the flesh. We're mortal, right? We have to get life eternal from Jesus Christ. We get the water of life. We, we uh, are able to... Uh, let's go to uh, just a couple of scriptures here. I can do this real quickly in Revelation, the uh, second chapter. Here's uh, one of the promises of Jesus uh, to the first church era that he's mentioning of those seven churches and the first promise that he gives in uh, verse 7. Uh, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And then go up to chapter 22, verse 2. Chapter 22, verse 2. There's a river of life, crystal flowing out of the throne of, and out of the Lamb of God. Now, the river of life comes out of the throne of God. It wasn't in the Garden of Eden. The river of life, this flows out from God. The, the life that we have, the Holy Spirit, the, the life that he gives us comes from God. So there's more analogy there. In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there the tree of life, which had, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruits every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nation. And then we'll skip over to verse 14 as we close here. Blessed are they that do the command, his commandments, that they, have, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. So, right now, we have the knowledge of good and evil. And right now, those of us I'm speaking to as Christians, we have eternal life abiding in us. We haven't yet, because we're going to die, the first physical death, but we have the promise of eternal life. We have the promise of resurrection. And that is going to be the promise that is going to be shared by billions and billions of people, the opportunity to partake. So those that are obeying God, that are converted, that are called, that are convicted, that are repentant, that are keeping the commandments, they have a right to the tree of life. And so we're going to be able to enjoy that tree of life for all eternity. In the flesh, as mortal human beings, as unconverted, they don't have access to that. They're carnal. Look at the terrorists and nations and people and, and all of seven billion people that are on this earth today that have the knowledge of good and evil, and many of them practicing evil, but they don't have everlasting life, only a few. So those of us who are called are going to have an opportunity to share in that uh, everlasting spiritual end-time blessing of being in the kingdom of God forever and ever. We're going to see the great, beautiful transformation from this world into the kingdom of God and to the way that is going to be eternally good and positive. So... There's some lessons that we can learn as trees. We can ask ourselves, what kind of tree am I? What kind of lessons am I learning? Uh, how productive am I? And uh, how uh, moist and green and beautiful am I? Or am I just unproductive? So those are some serious questions we can learn from this message of trees.